Our scripture today comes from the 20th chapter of John, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today we're beginning a two-part series called Rickety Bridges. Rickety Bridges, what are they? Bridges that perhaps look scary to cross. Maybe they're missing a board or two. Perhaps they're a little more shaky than we're comfortable with. And yet, they are bridges that will take us from the place that we find ourselves to the place where we're heading. Now, we're crossing several rickety bridges here at Ebenezer Church. First, we're emerging from COVID. COVID restrictions, I should say. We're gathering back in person in different ways, both here at church, in our communities, wherever we might find ourselves. And we're experiencing that coming out of COVID feels a little different than perhaps February 2020. And yet, we are and will continue to emerge and to re-engage, and to be part of relationship and community. And also here at Ebenezer, I will be beginning this new journey of launching our new faith community, the Northern Virginia Missional Hub, where we are going to be employing decentralized ways of doing and being church, raising up micro-churches and fresh expressions in our community, in your neighborhood, and perhaps even in your workplace. So today I wanted to share with you a story from a colleague and friend who I used to work with at Christ Church. Tim himself felt called out of the church to go back into the business world, and he has found creative ways to do and to be church as he serves as president of a company in Ohio. And today I'd like you to hear Tim's story as he shares about what it looks like to be church at work, to do church at work, and to follow where God leads and be willing to believe that God will equip us, even if the space where we're doing church isn't a sanctuary. Hi everyone, I'm Tim Beatty, and I'm the president at Bull and Ultrasonics. It's a, uh, a company with about 120 employees. We're located in Eaton, Ohio, which is a small rural town that has about 10,000 uh, residents. We're just outside of Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio, and uh, this is a family business started by my wife's grandfather, which was Jim Bullen, and uh, we're now in our third generation. And so uh, what we do as a company is we actually do ultrasonic machining, which is 
fundamentally channeling the energy of sound to machine hard, brittle materials that are advanced ceramics that go into aircraft engines, uh, different defense products, as well as MEMS devices and semiconductor uh, components. And so a wide variety of different things. Um, as you can imagine, we've been uh, through some of the turmoil of the last year as well. And, uh, and I started here in 1999 and worked here for about 10 years. And then in 2008, I, uh, my wife and I really felt called to move to Washington, D.C. And actually uh, primarily driven by my wife who really wanted to join a, uh, a Christian nonprofit called World Hope International. They do international relief and development um, all around the world. And uh, she joined their staff uh, right around 2008 when we moved there. And then I also joined in 2009 Christ Church, which is over in Fairfax Station. And that's where I met uh, Pastor Monica. And that's the reason why I'm talking to you today. And so uh, when I was there as an executive director, I uh, basically used my business skills to run the uh, business operations of the church. And, uh, you know, and then I started to uh, feel something that I wasn't expecting after being there for about five years what I'll call like holy discomfort is basically just feeling like God had something different for me. And there was a couple different reasons for that. One is, uh, just really felt like, uh, this idea of, of ministry and this, this definition of ministry was starting to expand for me as I had people sitting in my office uh, wondering whether they should leave their business or leave their, their position and join the church and ministry, I continually found myself encouraging them to stay where they were planted, believing that God could use them greater in that position than they, that he could do in, in uh, a ministry position. And that's not always true. I mean, sometimes that's very specific to the person. Uh, but for me, I started to feel the same thing and, and feeling that I was predominantly surrounded by Christians. And that I felt this strong desire to reach more non-Christians for Christ. And, uh, and I found that that calling, especially when I was out on the baseball field, coaching, um, a, a team of, it was boys that were like 12 to 16 years old. And as my son grew in that, I continued to coach him throughout the years and found that actually, uh, from a countercultural perspective, we could create this culture for our team that reflected the heart of God. And we were able to see people grow, you know, uh, players grow and develop, families that were able to grow and develop. And it was such a ministry for me. And feeling like I could do ministry, I needed to continue to do ministry in a different context. And my father-in-law was retiring. And so he asked me to join as president. And the timing was just perfect for me to be able to do that. Well, this idea of culture making is really central to what I believe uh, we as believers are called to do. And this is a book, uh, Culture Making, uh, which is right behind me, written by Andy Crouch. And I just want to read, uh, start off with this quote from him. I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside of our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? I'm afraid so. Why aren't we known as cultivators? People who tend to nourish what is best in human culture, who do the hard and painstaking, painstaking work 
to preserve the best of what people before us have done? Why aren't we known as creators? People who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before. Something that makes the world more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful. I love this idea of making the world more welcoming, thrilling, and beautiful. That is the heart of what culture making is. In fact, it's this idea that we are all created in God's image and God is a creator and that out of us, we're able to participate in God's creation by creating culture, whatever that may look like. That may look like art. That may look like uh, creating a culture for your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your work group, in your friendships. But we can create a culture that reflects the heart and integrity of God, the creator. And I, I love this idea. And in fact, um, there's a great story of somebody who read this book and applied it very specifically in his career. And that's Lecrae, who is a Christian rap artist. And, you know, as he was reading this book, he felt really compelled to change the way he thought about his art. Predominantly, he thought of his art as worship, as uh, uh, primarily rapping to an audience of Christians. And as he read this book, he saw that actually he could expand his audience and create culture that, that maybe sounded different than what people had heard before, that wasn't just copying the culture, but was creating something new and innovative that would reflect the heart of God. And he changed the way that he did he did his rap music. And it changed actually so many different lives and he reached so many different people through that outlet. And so I felt called to do something very similar at Bullen. And, you know, there were a couple different elements that I want to share with you on how we were able to do that. Uh, the first is uh, some really good advice from uh, a friend of mine who said, before you do anything, um, and I, I met with him before I joined the business, he said, make sure you're taking care of your employees. Make sure that they're paid well. Make sure that they're safe. Make sure that they have good benefits. Make sure that you have a good quality product because all of these things would reflect poorly on your ministry um, if you weren't just simply doing the basics. And quite honestly, even just doing the basics now um, can actually be countercultural. But we wanted to at least do that foundation. And then, you know, I want to kind of build upon all the different things that, that we've built here at Bullen. And the first is really the foundational truth of love versus fear. And, and it's interesting because as soon as I say the word love, um, people get nervous and they, they're not used to hearing that in a, in a business setting. And I'll usually ask them, well, why is that? You know, because we're very used to using the word family. You know, this is the Bullen family or this is my work family. And I'll, and I'll say, well, you know, what's the connective tissue of a healthy family? Well, what holds it together? Well, what holds it together should be love. And you know, it's not like romantic love, right? Not the kind of love that you, you know, watch on a Disney movie or, or uh, see on a rom-com, right? This is, this is sacrificial love. This is a first Corinthians 13 type of love. And that love is about sacrifice, commitment, accountability, humility, truth telling, forgiveness. Um, it's a hard and gritty type of love. You know, uh, 
not not a soft type of love. This is a uh, uh, the type of love that talks that that Scripture talks about. It says that perfect love cast out fear. In fact, that's one of my favorite verses. Um, is this idea that wherever Christians go, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, that and if there's fear present, that fear is driven out through love. Well, we you know we know that. Uh, fear is something that actually breaks the bonds, that breaks things apart, that tears things apart. It's destructive. And you probably know this already, right? Because you've been in cultures of fear. Maybe you worked in a, a culture of fear. Maybe you were raised in a culture of family of fear. To be honest, I think America right now is a culture of fear. But that only gives me more hope that as believers, we can cast out fear. We can be people that bring brings a culture of love, that brings the power of the Holy Spirit into these areas and drives it out. And that's one of the things that we talk about here at Bulland is that we are called to do that. Um, and we define what that looks like. And so the, the next foundational element is this idea of trust and respect. And so probably when you were raised, and I was raised this way too, is respect is something that's earned. Um, and, and there is an element of respect that grows over time. You may grow in respect for somebody. Um, but one of the things that we say is that, that we don't believe that respect is something that's earned. We believe that respect is something that's given to all human beings because we believe that all human beings have intrinsic value. Now, as believers, right, I, I don't necessarily say this with all the employees, but we believe that all human beings are created in the image of God that they're a reflection of God. And so because of that, all people deserve respect. And so we talk about that here. Trust, however, it is something that is earned over time. In fact, I love Brene Brown's definition of trust. And the way that she talks about it is it's like a bank account that you make deposits into and you make withdrawals from. And at the end of the day, knowing whether somebody is trustworthy or not is about what the balance of that account is. And so we like to think of ourselves as building trust with our employees. And, you know, over this last year, we've had lots of opportunity to build trust with our employees is, you know, going through uh, the pandemic is we really wanted our employees to feel safe. And we did everything we could to make sure that they felt safe. Being an essential business, we had to remain open due to some of the work that we did. Um, and also on top of that, we wanted to be transparent. And that was one of the ways that we built trust. And it's been hard to be transparent because we've sh we share openly about our sales, our profits, our forecast. And a lot of that news has been really bad in the last year. But we felt that being transparent helped us to overcome fear. Again, believing that this commitment, this sacrifice, this transparency was going to cast out that fear. And that definitely proved to be true over this last year as we're kind of coming out of some of the struggles that we've had. And so uh, then we, you know, so we have this foundation of love and then trust and respect that's built upon that. And then from there, we build upon our core values. And our core values are excellence, humility, integrity, and teamwork. And for me, those reflect biblical principles. And there are literally thousands of words that you can build a culture on 
And we chose these four that best reflected our 50 year history, our DNA. And uh, we've been able to put some actions to that. In fact, we've infiltrated those uh, core values in every aspect that we do. We hire based on those core values. We orient employees. In fact, I meet with every employee when they join and I share you know, for an hour and a half to two hours about what these core values mean and this foundation of love and trust and respect. Um, we evaluate each other based on these core values. We fire people based on these core values. Um, and we talk about them and include them in all the conversations. We do annual training on them. And so they're just foundational to, to what we do here. And then uh, another aspect, another framework actually comes from Praxis, which Andy Crouch is also a part of, and he has this redemptive framework. And it's this idea of, you know, what is the purpose of an organization or of a business? And, you know, he, he makes this argument that the purpose of an organization is to be redeeming, is redemption. And, you know, at first it took a little while for me to wrap my mind around this, but here's the concept is what, what is redemption? Redemption is essentially receiving something you don't deserve and canceling of your debts. So, you know, what, what do we deserve? We're sinners, right? We deserve punishment. We deserve death. What do we receive? We receive a blessing. We receive forgiveness. We receive grace. We receive eternal life. And so if we can do, if we can give someone a blessing, something that they don't deserve, we're participating in Christ's redemption. We're participating in the biblical narrative. We're participating in the gospel. And so this idea of the redemptive framework is that normal organizations will tend towards exploitation. Now, when I went to business school, they didn't use that word, but they kind of meant it, which is that, you know, you want to um, retrieve as much as you can, get as much as you can from your employees to maximize profits. But if you have a redemptive framework, you say, how can I use the blessings that I have to bless you? How can I use this institution, this organization, this relationship to bless you? And it flips things around. It's upside down and it's a beautiful thing when you're able to do that. And so there's a couple different things that we've been able to do, not just through creating a culture and by paying people well, but by blessing them beyond measure. And so we actually take 30, over 30 plus percent of our profits and give it back to our employees through bonuses, through profit sharing, through 401k matching and just to be able to bless them and to share in the work that we do together. And then on top of that, we take 10% of our net profits and we give it into our communities and all over the world through charitable organizations. So we have a family foundation um, that manages that, that my wife actually manages now. And we are able to, to help out inside of our community with homelessness, with the elderly, with uh, youth um, in our community. And then beyond there, we supported uh, just over the last few years, villages in Haiti, the anti-trafficking movement in Mumbai, India, and we sponsored uh, rural, rural development in Cambodia and the Philippines. And so it's just been an incredible blessing to be able to um, show love uh, both to our employees, but also into our community and around the world. 
And so that, I think, is the calling that we all have um, to be culture makers, to create cultures that reflects God's heart, no matter where it is that God has placed you. And so I just want to end with a story. And uh, it's a story of two employees. And so in separated by about a year. So about this time last year, um, it's a tragic story, is uh, one of our employees received some really bad personal news and took his life. And I gathered the employees together in our cafeteria uh, pre-COVID and um, just shared with them the news all at once. In fact, I came into every shift and shared with every every single shift. And I just broke down uh, crying. Uh, he's somebody that I'd worked with and knew for a long time and just uh, said a couple different things to them. And I said, you know, one is, is we believe this lie that there's a separation between our personal lives and our professional lives. And because of that, we kind of segregate the two and we think, you know, I, I can't bring those personal issues into the workplace. I can't bring those workplace issues into my home and I want to separate those two. And, and what that does is it can make you feel alone. And so I told them, Hey, this is a place where no matter what's going on in your personal life, you can bring it here. And in fact, on that day, we started uh, having a corporate chaplain that we still have to this day that's available as a service to the employees that they can call, they can share confidential information, they can call them 24-7, and that's through uh, Corporate Chaplains of America. And so it was really important that they, they heard that message. And then second is I asked them to pull out their phones and to write in some lifelines. Who are some people that you can call um, when things get bad and you have no one else to talk to? Write in your lifelines. Well, fast forward a year later, and we had an empl another employee that was suicidal. It's been just been a brutal year, right? I mean, a lot of people are struggling. And uh, he was at the end, and he picked up the phone, and he called uh, an employee who actually happened to be a, a former employee that was let go from our company. And he must have been a lifeline. He called him up, and he told him, hey, I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it through the night. So he talked with them throughout the night to make sure that he, that he kept going. And, uh, and he encouraged him to talk to his supervisor that next day to come into work and to tell him. And that former employee called me up and called me up in the morning and told me about it. And by the time that I got the news, that the suicidal employee had already told his supervisor, um, they had left their work behind, jumped in the car, went to the hospital and got him the help that he needed. And to this day, um, that employee is happy, healthy, going to counseling has the help that he needs. And I just have a significant amount of pride hearing this story because to me, this is love and action. This is exactly the kind of culture that I want to have, the type of culture that somebody feels comfortable telling their supervisor that they're suicidal and the kind of supervisor who drops everything to get that employee the help that he needs. So my hope for all of you is that you would help make the world more welcoming and more thrilling and more beautiful. And that wherever it is that wherever it is that God has placed you, that you would feel that deep call to create culture and a culture that reflects the heart of God. Well, thank you, Tim, for sharing your story. Thank you for being willing to be courageous and to follow Christ, and to look for ways for discipleship. 
and for leading and for emulating the values that we are called to hold as Christians. I appreciate you sharing your story today, and I know that you have inspired others, and I pray that for those who feel a similar calling, that they will be willing to take a step out of their comfort zone as well, to be church in the third spaces where we find ourselves doing life or work. Please join me as we pray. Holy God, we just thank you for this gift of the church that you birthed over 2,000 years ago. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that Jesus reminds us was given to us as we are being sent into the world. I pray, God, that you help us to be courageous, that you help us to follow you, that you help us to seek your will and to cross any rickety bridges that might be in front of us, even when they're shaking, even when boards are missing, especially when you are leading us, perhaps to leave the comfort of what is known and behind us and venture to the place where you are calling. For that is where we will find you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.